0: to another episode of Call for Caring on Purpose podcast. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I'm your host as we journey through caregiving together. The goal of the Call for Caring on Purpose podcast is to educate, elevate, and empower our caregivers during their caregiver journey. Our initial episodes are going to lead us to our third biannual Atlanta Family Caregiver Expo, and so we'll provide a little more details at the end of our, at the end of our conversation today. Um, so today we're starting part of a series about care options for your loved ones. Um, and so we're going to focus on hospice today. In 2016, the Department of Health and Human Services conducted a survey regarding their awareness and misperceptions of hospice and palliative care they found that most adults did not mention the major components of those types of service, which implies that there's a low level of awareness about these services. Uh, Misinformation was found to be common among communities regarding the services. So there are education initiatives they found that are needed um, and awareness and also just reducing the misconceptions. And so our conversation today is with Enid Wright, of Sovereign Health Hospice, and she's hopefully it's going to help us to kind of clear up some of that misinformation, um, and maybe this may be an option for your family. So I want to welcome Ena to today's episode, and thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you, Michelle, for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So can you start by sharing a little bit about your background and kind of your work that you're doing now?
1: Okay. Well. Um... Again, thanks, Michelle, for having me um, on your podcast today. And um, I just want to say um, I have known Michelle for a little while, and she's always interested in education, and so am I. I really am um, fascinated by this, and I love to educate the public. And talking about hospice is one of my, my greatest pleasure. Oh. Okay. Um, I have been a registered nurse for over 40 years. Um, I started with my initial training in Jamaica. I did some education in Scotland as a midwife. Went to, um, And then I left from there, went to New York, worked for a while. And um, then I came to Atlanta. So I've been in Atlanta now for over 30 years where I've practiced um, and I've done all different... Um, forms of nursing, all the different disciplines. And I then I came upon hospice and I've worked in hospice for um, close to 18 years, almost 20 years in hospice. Okay. Okay. And then about seven years ago, I decided to start my own company awesome. with a couple of other people. We decided, well, you know what? I think we can do this a little bit better. than some of the things we're seeing. So I am now the proud owner of Sovereign Hospice.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Congratulations. Seven years. That's great. It sounds like you love to educate. um, And I think that's so important, especially with hospice, because as we talked about, there's that misconception about what it is. So um, when you're speaking with the family, how do you normally describe hospice?
1: Okay. So talking to the family, that is, That is so important. First, let me say, every family is different. And my approach is usually based on what that family knows about hospice. Mm. That is um, why I always like to ask families when I sit down with them, what do you know about hospice? Or tell me, what is your perception of hospice? Then based on that information, I then proceed to define hospice care. And give them the um, Medicare, Medicaid eligibility. Because um, families are going to tell you what they are hearing out there. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you're going to give them the right information. Mm -hmm. So I like to hear from them. What is it that they know about hospice before I give them the information that I have? Because like you like you said earlier on in your conversation, in your introduction, that um, there's a lot of mis- misperception. So I like to hear what they have to say before I, I give my information. So
0: what are just some of the most common misconceptions about hospice in general that you always have to resolve during these conversations?
1: Okay, um, hospice. Um, one of the misconceptions is people think you are going to kill their family members. Mm -hmm. The moment they hear hospice, they think, Oh my gosh, person's going to die right away. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what one of the reasons is because a lot of times patients are referred to hospice too late. Mm -hmm. And so the patient, because the patient is referred late then, and they die as soon as they come onto service, then the families think, "Oh my gosh, you, the hospice provider, um, is the cause of the death of the patient," mm-hmm. and that is one of the misconceptions. So we always have to clear that up to let them know, "No, it's not. It's not. We did not cause the death of the patient. Mm-hmm. It's because maybe the patient came on service too late."
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you explain the difference between home health and hospice, how they're the same and how they're different? Because they're both in the home, so sometimes that can be confusing.
1: Yes. Now, home health and hospice both provide care for the patient at home or or wherever they call home, wherever they live. That could be in their residents at home. It could be in a personal care home. It could be in an assisted living or a nursing home. They both have skilled nursing, nursing service. That means an LPN or an RN providing care. They both have a certified nursing assistant coming to help assist with BATH. However, for home health, You have the, that is geared toward making the patient well. You're trying to get a patient um, better and you're providing treatment and and treatment management. Whereas in hospice, we're providing comfort care. That patient has a terminal illness. They're going to die. So we are providing comfort care until that patient passes. And that's, that's one of the big difference between home health and hospice. And
0: so, have you found that there are cases in which you provide hospice and then the patient or client gets better and they come off?
1: Oh, yes, that happens sometimes. Patients okay. do come on hospice, and we what we call we graduate them from hospice, okay. Okay. <laughs> so okay. yes, there are patients who sometimes come on hospice, and um they're no longer eligible because they get they get um, they get better or their, their um, symptoms have been managed totally and they start improving. And in that case, we have to, um, we have to discharge them because they have, um, their symptoms have improved, their conditions have changed, and um, they, start to, they start to improve. So, we, yes, we have to discharge those patients.
0: And, you know, because I've seen a few cases in which we have clients in which we've helped with hospice, And they've gotten better. And I tell people I think they get better because there are so many resources that come in from hospice that supports them, that allows for them to do that. So people kind of underestimate the amount of support they can get through hospice. So can you tell me a little bit about palliative care and kind of what is that and how that connects under or next to hospice?
1: Okay, so... Palliative care, and I know sometimes people um, mix up the difference between palliative care. One of the challenges in the implementation of palliative care has been um, a lack of consensus on what palliative care is, when it should be applied, to whom, and by whom. The terms Palliative care and hospice care have been used for many years with different um, interpretation and um, several organizations have in turn adopted their own definitions. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading this from a document that, I've, uh, that I did some research on. The current um, World Health Organization definition for palliative care for adults was adopted in 2002 and poses many challenges and limits palliative care to problems associated with life threatening illnesses rather than the need of patients with severe chronic and complex conditions um, what they're saying is that palliative care in a simple way simple way i can I, I can say it is palliative care you are allowed the patient is allowed even with a terminal illness to continue their treatment and Continue. Um, um, for instance, if a patient who has cancer, they can continue their chemotherapy. They can continue their um, radiation treatment. Whereas, if a patient who is on hospice with cancer cannot continue treatment while they are on hospice care, okay. and that is that is that is a simple way to. Understand it. Okay. Yeah, we we like simple. We like simple.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So for the palliative care, um, we're really looking at there are some treatment therapies that are going on. It
1: could be the chemo,
0: it could be OT or PT. Is that correct? They could have those things. Mm -hmm. While under hospice they're not. They're pretty much just kind of comfort, just really
1: comfort. Right. Okay. And 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 let me clarify: hospice patients do do get PT and OT too, okay. but it's a li- at limited, not not okay. not continuous. You know, it's a limited. Okay. It's limited. Yeah.
0: Now, can
1: someone be on have home health and hospice? They have to choose one or the other one. Right, you cannot be on home health and hospice at the same okay. time. Once a patient, if a a patient is on home health, and then they are eligible for hospice, the home health stops the moment they they start hospice. Okay.
0: And so who determines your eligibility?
1: Is that the physician? Who, who makes that determination? Okay. So Medicare has eligibility guidelines, which they use. And the, the physician, the medical director, the hospice medical director, determines the, the diagnosis based on the Medicare eligibility guidelines. So we look at the eligibility, we look at the patient's um, symptoms, we look at their diagnosis, and we look at the Medicare guidelines that Medicare sets out. And we call them the LCDs, local um, determinations. And then the, the medical director determines if that patient is eligible based on, based on all those things, we put all those things
0: together. Okay. So now that we just mentioned Medicare, so who covers the costs of the hospice service out of pocket, Medicare, Medicaid, how, how does that work?
1: Okay. So hospice is a Medicare benefit. And that is one of the things that we, I really, really want to emphasize because a lot of people don't realize that, that it is a benefit. And when something is a benefit, it means that it is, it is what you, it is something that you get. So if you have Medicare part A, it is, it is covered a hundred percent, hospice is covered a hundred percent. So you don't have to pay a penny If you have Medicare Part A, this covered 100% hospice is. And also private insurance does cover hospice. Some some private insurance is 100%. Some you may have a copay, but most of the time it is covered 100%. And Medicaid also covers hospice 100%. So
0: if I have Medicare and Medicaid, and I have a percentage out of Medicare, then Medicaid will cover
1: it, but you said it's all covered at hundred percent. It's right? all covered at hundred percent. So if okay. you say, say Michelle, you have Medicare and you also have Medicaid, it, Medicare will cover your hospice a hundred percent. Okay.
0: And so when you say cover the services that it covers, can you kind of, so there's a a nurse who's involved and there's okay. a chaplain. Can you kind of talk about what's in those services?
1: Okay. So yes, I will, I'll, let me speak to what the services. So hospice is a team approach. So it's a team um, of dis- a disciplines that covers the hospice that provides the care. You have the medical director who is the doctor. You have a, a, a nurse Um, who is your case manager, an RN case manager. You also have a social worker. You have a chaplain. You have a hospice aide and a volunteer. We also have LPNs who are interchangeable, who can also do um, visits. So that's your team that, that, that provides that service for you. Now, what are their
0: supplies that are covered through hospice as well?
1: Yes. Now, your supplies, there are all your medications that are related to the hospice diagnosis, depending on what the diagnosis is. Whatever medications that are related to the diagnosis, those are covered under hospice. Hospice pays for those medications. And we also pay for the supplies. Say, for instance, things like your diapers. The chucks or pads. and the pads and and, um, soap and um, all of those um, supplies. All your equipment, DME equipment. If you need a hospital bed, a wheelchair, a walker, those supplies are covered. And like I said, medications. Okay, are covered. And so when you mentioned DME, just so nurses
0: know, that's durable medical equipment, durable medical equipment. Right, that yes, that's
1: the equipment like the, like the bed and your um, wheelchair, all mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's important that people know
0: that as well because those supplies can be very costly when you have to buy the pans and bed chucks, disposables. That those can be very costly, and just having the benefit of that can be impactful. Right. so you know i tell people if you qualify for that service you you want to look at that it doesn't mean that it's serving you like you said you know, a death sentence honestly but it may be just some more resources to help you to get to over where you are right now or to have you have a gradual um, quality of life as you begin to um, transition that's what you yeah. determine you want to have so uh, now sometimes there's hospice where you can do it in-home and then there's also inpatient hospice. Can you kind of explain the difference and kind of what's a requirement one over the
1: other? Okay, so we, we have in hospice what you call um, levels of care and that's what Medicare establishes. There are four levels of care in hospice and we have what routine home care, inpatient care, respite care and continuous care. And I will explain each of those levels of care um, very quickly. Routine home care is what Medicare um, encourages and that is what what the, the care that you get in the home. The patient is at home, they stay at home. Everybody comes to all the disciplines, everybody comes and takes care of patient in their home. That is routine home care. Inpatient care, um, which is or, or what you you might hear, they refer to as GIP, general inpatient, that is another level of care where if there's a crisis. Mm-hmm. and the patient is in a crisis say they are in a, a, a pain crisis and it can't be taken care of at home then the patient has to be they has to have an eligibility they must be eligible for the, to to go into the inpatient mm-hmm. they must have some some reason and then they are moved from home and goes into the inpatient but they can't stay there all the time they can't stay there for a long period of time it has to be on a short-term basis. So they, they're put in the inpatient unit and the crisis is managed. Whatever the situation is, it's taken care of. And then they're taken back home.
0: Okay.
1: Then respite, respite. the patient is, um, goes to respite for five days. And that is to give the family member or the caregiver a break. So we, you can take the patient to either an inpatient unit or respite can be given in a, in a um, skilled nursing facility. They have to have round-the-clock um, skilled nurse to, to provide the respite care. And that's for five days. Mm-hmm. And then continuous care, continuous um, care, that can, that can take place in the patient, wherever the patient resides. We bring um, the care in. Usually um, the nurse, they have to have nursing care for at least eight hours out of a 24 hour period. That is from 12 midnight to 12 midnight. We have um, continuous care that also has to have an eligibility. It has to be a crisis situation. Again, similar to what happens if the patient is going into an inpatient unit and it doesn't, it doesn't go on forever. It, it usually is 24, 48, maybe two or three days. And okay. once that crisis is over, then the, you go back to routine home care. Okay. So those are the four levels of care.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, so the respite is that five days a year or five days in a lifetime?
1: No, no, no. They can have five days. Every month. We have some patients like every, every month okay. somebody <laughs> wants. It, does, it at least what may at least once a month. Okay. So, you know, as, when the family is, if they, if they want to, um, sometimes families want to go away, um, they have an emergency or they have a trip or the family has something planned and they just, they, they want to um, go out of town or something, or they're just exhausted okay. and they, they want their loved one. To, um, to put them in the, um, in the inpatient unit for those five days. Okay. And you mentioned about the continuous care. So then they go
0: back to their routine. They have that crisis period handled in the home. They go back to the routine. So that mm-hmm. kind of brings me to the question of how can hospice be supported by other inpatient services, for example, like what we do with in-home personal companion care? Do you see that happening for people who have hospice?
1: Okay, sure. Hospice can be supported by lots of other services, um, like you mentioned, because hospice is not there all the time is not in a patient's home. And that that too is a misconception that um, families have sometimes. They think, okay, hospice is going to come and they're going to sit with my loved one all the time. They're going to be there all the time. No, we don't come and sit in patient's home. So that is where companion care comes in. We can refer them to other services outside. And that is where our social worker comes in. Our social worker is, is very good. And that's why we encourage um, families to, to have a conversation, talk with our social worker, because our social worker can then say, listen, if they, if there's a need in the home where they see the family may need companion care, yes that that the companions can come in and sit with that patient that is where companion care comes in they may need somebody because maybe a family the family has to go the fam- caregiver primary caregiver has to go out and work and they're going to need somebody to sit with right. provide sit a service
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they they can you can bring a companion in to to provide additional support that's one but that is a paid paid service there's also other services out there like CCSP mm-hmm. and stores and those other services that are there. The social worker can 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 speak to that and mm-hmm. give uh, more information on those services. Mm-hmm that's great because you know even you
0: you know just to sitting but sometimes they need to sleep right so they're always going and so mm-hmm. sometimes it's good at night to have someone there so you can get exactly. well and you can be ready to take care of your loved one during the day exactly. so that's another way that i know we've seen to support them mm-hmm. so this has been great information and if you would say two actions you recommend that our family caregivers take today, immediately, what would those two things be after they listen
1: to the podcast? Okay, two things, and I, <laughs> and I highly recommend this. Number one, please, please, please sit down with your family and have a conversation about end of life or, or aging, plan for aging. I have that conversation with my family every single day, whether they want to listen or not.
0: <laughs> right, that's a hard conversation. I yet. know
1: it is a hard conversation, but you know what? The more you talk about it, the easier it, it, it gets. Right. Sit down and talk with your family members about aging. Plan for aging because it's going to happen. It's coming. It's not. It's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> and the next the next conversation is talk with your pcp if you have elder p- families in your home or in your in your you know in your surroundings talk to your talk to your doctor because sometimes doctors are afraid or are or, or are a little bit hesitant about t- um bringing up the hospice um, conversation, because they think that you might be afraid too. And they don't want to bring that subject up. Mm-hmm. And some doctors too, uh, doctors are trained to save lives and to take care of people. And so they don't want to talk about it. Believe it or not, doctors right. don't want to talk about hospice. Right. So if you bring the subject up, they might be surprised and think, oh my gosh, Really? Yes, you want to talk about hospice because it's not something don't be afraid of talking about hospice. We are not here to kill your loved one. We are not here to take away their medicines we are not We're not here to give them morphine because that's what that is another misconception. Yeah. They think yeah. that you're going to come and give them morphine and they're going to yeah. die. No, that's not what we are here for. We' are here to provide some support and to wrap our arms around you and to help you, um, provide some comfort and peace in your home. So talk to your, talk to your loved ones, discuss the aging process and talk to your doctor.
0: Okay. So, um, how can, uh, our listeners get in touch with you? To your organization, can you give us some websites, phone numbers? What's the best way to reach oh, out? Oh,
1: definitely. Sovereign, we have a website. It's www.sovereinhospiceinc.com. And our phone number is 470 223 3773. And we are in Sandy Springs on Roswell Road. Sixty Sixty Five Roswell Road, Suite 520, okay. Sandy Springs. <laughs> okay. And,
0: you know, I know that, you know, there are listeners who are not just in Georgia, but I think most of this information applies to wherever you are because we're talking about general terms and hospice and helping to um, get rid of some of this misinformation and miscreate So um, I think you did that with a lot of the questions that you answered, and I'm so grateful for your conversation. Um, I just also want to remind listeners, I thought some of the key points were just identifying early the need for hospice. And so that you can really, truly appreciate that journey. Um, And it's not really a reactive thing, it's much more of a proactive Um, journey as well Um, and then also all the services that are in there I don't think people understand how much of a team that you get an all-around team and then also that the covering of those supplies that I know it can be very expensive Um, and so thank you so much Enid
1: for the information you provided it was a great conversation so thank you thank you thank you Michelle for having me on anytime and um, like you said Your listeners can always call on us. We are available 24-7 and we are welcome. We will welcome any phone calls and we'll answer any questions. It was such a pleasure to talk with you today.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And so we're going to take a break with our sponsor. So after the break, we're going to continue our conversation with a family caregiver who's going to share her family's experience with hospice. So we'll talk to you after the break.
2: Call for Caring, in partnership with Impact Church, presents the 2021 Atlanta Family Caregivers Expo on Saturday, November 20th, 2021, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. The event will be held outdoors in the Impact Courtyard to ensure the environment complies with all CDC guidelines. Attendees may also participate via Zoom and Facebook Live. The Atlanta Family Caregivers Expo is a great opportunity for family caregivers to find the resources they need to ensure a quality of life for their loved ones and themselves, including COVID-19 testing and vaccinations, flu vaccines, blood pressure and glucose screenings, speaker series, one-on-one consultations regarding caregiving issues, raffles, care scholarships, and much, much more. This year, we will offer complimentary companion care for your loved one. Space is limited, so register early. You can register today at callforcaring.org. Thank you to our gold sponsors, Home Helpers of North Atlanta, Impact Church of the United Methodist Church, North Georgia District, AARP Georgia, Cigna Medicare, and Pruitt Health.
0: So welcome back. Um, we're continuing our conversation about hospice. Um, According to the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, enrollment in hospice programs has risen steadily over the past two decades. A number of people have received hospice services between 1990 to 2013. It increased seven times from 210,000 to over 1.5 million. So as we talked about the need for education in the community about hospice, We are seeing there is a growth in in, in its use. And so our next guest is Amy Hudson. Um, She is one of a family caregiver of caregivers who chose a hospice journey. Welcome, Amy. Thank you.
3: Thank you for having me, and I'm really happy to be here.
0: Great, and we're happy to have you. So I wanted you to start by kind of telling us a little bit about about yourself and then also your loved one who you supported um, as a family caregiver through the hospice journey.
3: Yeah, so for me, my whole career has been writing. You know, I've been in communications, marketing, journalism. I've been in all of that for many, many years. And um, when my father became ill and after he passed, I just realized how important storytelling is. Mm-hmm. That is when I realized how much it, it means for a family to capture their family stories. And when your parent becomes ill, or if your parent dies suddenly and you haven't captured those stories, then you know it's too late. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a big part of this journey you know, having a career in communications, having a career in writing, all of a sudden it seemed to me that, wait, you really need to write these stories about your own family. You need to write stories about your parents because both of my parents actually passed away in 2016, Mm -hmm. but my dad is the one we're here to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, So storytelling just became really, really important during the journey of hospice and after he passed.
0: Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about your dad and kind of how you guys decided upon hospice as an option for your family?
3: Well, yeah, his condition was pretty much from the get go. You know, he received a diagnosis of terminal cancer and I think he chose wisely not to do the chemo route. And I remember when we were in the hospital and I remember seeing the palliative care folks and they came in and really helped us to understand what was coming and and he seemed to really understand what was coming. And he seemed to be very much at peace with it. I think he wanted to enjoy whatever time he had left, he wanted to enjoy it to the full. And that was, that was in the hospital. And even then he was enjoying, he was enjoying the experience. It sounds so strange, but, um, we had music going all the time. My dad was a musician and an artist. And so We had fellow musicians and friends coming in, and they would sing around the hospital bed. And we have all these videos of of that in the hospital. And then from there, we went to a rehabilitation center, and he learned how to just cope with things like getting his clothes on because he was paralyzed from the waist down, you know, things like just. How to cope once he did get home, you know, how to how to live the day to day and do what he could on his own and also then rely on caregivers and I will tell you that once well all the caregivers, the caregivers in the hospital, the caregivers at um, the rehabilitation hospital, and then the caregivers that that we had in the home, they were all wonderful and he felt just comfortable being himself. I mean, he had to be vulnerable. He had to humble himself, you know, to have people take care of everything that happens below your, you know, below your waist after you're paralyzed. And it was just, I call it a beautiful relationship that he he was able to develop with all of his caregivers. You know, it was amazing to watch it. Mm-hmm. It
0: really was amazing. I mean, and I remember for you all that, this was a sudden diagnosis. This was like he had never been sick in his life. And can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Oh, gosh, I remember he used to just brag about, (laughs) I'm eating my raw spinach sandwich today with peanut butter. And we would just go, that just sounds disgusting. You know, I'm going to go I'm going to go eat something that's not healthy over here and just enjoy yourself, Dad, with that, you know. And he would walk a lot, and he just, you know, he would brag about I've lost 20 pounds, and you know, he was just very healthy. And I always thought my dad would live until at least into his 90s, and mm-hmm. he just seemed kind of ageless. And he was such a cool guy, you know, because of his music and everything. You know, he's just too cool, and uh, I just never thought, I never thought that he would ever get sick. So he, yeah, he was very healthy. And then uh, we just realized he was having a little bit of trouble walking. And I think we were all in denial at first. And he certainly was because he thought of himself as healthy Mm -hmm. and it was sudden. Um, We went into the emergency room on the morning of April 22nd. I remember that Mm -hmm. date 2016, as clear as can be. And then by that evening, You know, it it was, we were in ER all day long. And I finally went back, they had him in the back. And I finally went back to see what is going on here. Mm -hmm. And he had his baseball cap over his eyes, and he was lying on a stretcher. And, you know, just he's a meditator, he was a meditator, you know, he would meditate, and I I imagine that's what he was doing, because he had already received the news, Mm -hmm. and I walked up, the doctor walked up to me, and and explained what was going on, that it was cancer, it had, it had entered his, it was kidney cancer, had entered his spine, Mm -hmm. and that's why he was having trouble being able to walk, and it was, it was pretty much a terminal diagnosis right right there. And you know, so at what point did
0: the, the hospital or that team began to talk about hospice.
3: well it was it was literally pretty quick you know it came pretty quickly I would say within a week Mm -hmm. we we had that palliative care team coming to talk I remember it was a big circle of family in a hospital room and dad was in his bed sitting up and there were probably eight of us in the room his brother his brother's wife my stepmom his wife uh, myself, my sister, I'm sure was there, maybe a couple other family members and the palliative care team and a couple of folks there. And I just remember them saying, do you understand You know what we're talking about here? We're here to make the rest of your time be as just quality filled as it can be and as comfortable mm-hmm. as it can be. And that's what we're here to do. And so we want to provide you with all the options about hospice. We really didn't know One thing we didn't know about hospice, (laughs) I kind of naively thought that there would be around the clock hospice nurse all the time, you know, and once we went home, it was like, no worries, you know, that's not the way it works. Yes. They can't do that. You know, they, hospice is amazing. I'm ever so grateful. Even my mom was in hospice, you know, for just one night, she was not in hospice at home, but in a hospice care center, In her situation, but with him, he was so fortunate to have time and be able to come home. And his whole illness, he lived for four good, solid months Mm -hmm. once he had that diagnosis, four plus months. And uh, most of that was at home with hospice care. And the thing I wanted to say is Home Helpers Mm -hmm. (laughs) was the company that we use. That's your company. And it couldn't have been better. And if we hadn't had you guys, I don't know what we would have done. And we couldn't afford it. We had to do a GoFundMe, a crowdfunder, uh, to raise the money to do it. But he had an amazing community. And so we raised that money, and we were able to do it. And it was worth well, it. You know, I tell you, and I,
0: I think your experience was the intention of what, when you talk about palliative care or um, first, closer to end of life, and which the goal is to keep them comfortable. And so sometimes it could be four months, sometimes it could be two years, it could be three years. It just depends on the person. But the goal is that in the hospital, this came quick to you, but you were open to receive it and understand what the benefit of it was. And so that's what we're just asking people to, to understand. It's just kind of open your mind to it. It doesn't mean that someone is giving you a death sentence. Everyone's in is a little bit different, but it's the way that you capture the journey. And I think you guys captured that journey so well with loving your father and celebrating him and the community, like you said, came together. There were parties at eight in the morning or 12 midnight. And so it was truly a celebration of life. And it's wonderful. We can all live that way, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, so tell me, how did this, this experience impact the relationship
3: with your dad? Oh, my goodness. I mean, my relationship with my dad was complicated for many years because my parents were divorced and there was that time in my life where it was quite complicated. And then there came a time in my life where we were able to really, truly reconcile. Mm-hmm. And that was many years ago. I was in my you know late twenties at that time. And we were able to reconcile and really um, start growing a bond. But I'm going to tell you when this happened with him, it was like, his heart just grew big. I mean, it was so big. His heart was so big. It just, like, it just kept growing and growing. And it was amazing. And he would say to me and everybody else, he would look you in the eye and just say, I love you, 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 love you. <laughs> and if you got caught in a hug, because he could still use that upper body really well. And thank God he could still use his hands to play his harmonica because that was a lifesaver. But he was always a good hugger, but man, when, when he was sick, if you got locked in a hug, you were in a hug. And uh, my niece, one of my nieces said, I think I was in a 45 minute hug one time. <laughs> and I just, I just stayed in it because you know what? It, it meant a lot that he, he wanted to hug me that way, but I just had to shift around a lot. And I can relate to that. I'd probably been in a couple of 10 or 15 minute." <laughs> Uh, so yeah it was awesome. amazing he expressed his love He he's a really an example of somebody who took a dire dire situation and just turned it into something so joyful and he would say i am having so much fun he would look around the room mm-hmm. at, whether there were five people or 30 which that happened right um he would look around the room and just say i'm having so much fun right now Yeah. That's awesome. You know, so prior to this experience
0: with your dad, what was your knowledge of hospice? What, what did you think hospice
3: was? I thought that it was in my mind, I guess I thought that you went into hospice and that you kind of was like a mausoleum Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you would go into this kind of, I don't know, this sterile Mm -hmm. place. And I never really thought about hospice at home. You know, and, and one thing I do remember them telling us when they were talking to us, they were saying, this is something you renew every six months or, or whatever the time frame is, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to review it. And it, this, like you said earlier, it's not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. It's not. Okay. Well now we just shut everything down and, and it's all over and we're done. No, for us, it was a window into freedom. Mm. That's what I would say—a window to freedom. Just the freedom to be together, the freedom to be whatever he wanted to be, and how live however you wanted to live.
0: Right. right. That's awesome. That's a great way to express it. So, how has that experience kind of changed your view? It just opened up a whole. New oh
3: my goodness! Yeah, of course, of course. And, um, I mean, I appreciated so much. I I remember there was a social worker from hospice who would come. And I mean, when you're dealing with a situation like this, there's high stress, Mm -hmm. there's high stress at times. I mean, it wasn't all fun and (laughs) lighthearted parties and all that. I mean, there was a lot of tough stuff and people weren't sleeping at night. Um, And as much as we had help, my stepmom, I just think she probably averaged about four hours of sleep every night. You know, I mean, it was just, I don't think people realize how hard it's going to be. She was the primary caretaker from the family. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't live there. I could come and go. And I came and went a lot. Mm -hmm. I made sure I was there just as much as I could be with a full-time job and, and raising a child and all that, but she, it's hard, hard work. And so the stress can be high. And I just remember the social worker was amazing. You know, she would she would listen and she had good advice and, she just made us feel like, okay, it's going to be, it's going to be all right today. It's right. going to be all right. Cause it right. was only day by day.
0: Right. And, you know, that's one of the things that we had talked about earlier Um, as I was talking about uh, with the hospice provider is that the team of resources that you get. And so you talked about the social worker and how helpful she was. And then there's normally the chaplain and then the nurse who comes by. And so it's just so many resources that you can have access to. And often these teams um, have such an amazing amount of compassion that they empathize with what you're going through and they're good listeners and also able to give you resources. So um, it's, you know, you guys had an amazing experience Um, and I know it is stressful. It's not all roses and all that good, all those good things, but um, it is the opportunity to kind of have the freedom to resolve some things maybe that were going on in a relationship with you and another to say those last things you wish you could say, mm-hmm. um, whether they're there here today or a year later, you have the opportunity to kind of have that closure. And so I think your family did a great job of, of doing that as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you one of the things I did, it was really hard to find alone time with my dad because mm-hmm. so many people were coming. It was a revolving door. They were just coming and going. But whether people were there or not, I had some alone time with him and I had time with him when lots of people are around. And I'll tell you, um, one of the questions that you provided in advance of this was, you know, what would you say to somebody listening to this? What should they do right now? Right. And so
0: that, <laughs> that's a, a good leeway because that is my next question. So okay. Okay. So the thing that, that you recommend the caregivers take immediately after listening to this today.
3: Yeah, I would say if you haven't taken your smartphone, which most people have, and found that that voice app, that voice um, memo app, that's what it's called on the iPhone, voice memo app. I'm not sure on Android, but whatever it is, the record button. It just hit that thing. Just whenever you're there, hit the record button. Of course, you're going to ask permission mm-hmm. from your loved one if that's okay. But I think most people will say it's okay. And I cannot tell you how much amazing just the stories that I got, the music that I was able to capture. I would do videos on my phone. Do that too, mm-hmm. if you if you prefer to do video. But I love audio. And uh, that was my preference, especially when I was having a conversation with him. I mean, I have a deep conversation with my dad where I talk about how he changed my life when we did reconcile and the way mm-hmm. that he did that. And I have that on my phone. I have a awesome. conversation.
0: And I would imagine hearing his voice saying whatever those words to you, hearing that again, it's just amazing.
3: It's incredible. I, it's incredible to have that. And, uh, I just, it's for me, that is just the one gift that he, I can't have him right now. I can't have him back alive again, but I can have, it's not just memories. It's there. I can go listen to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: That's, That's awesome. That's definitely a great piece of advice for people to do that they can do now, while they still still have their loved ones in their lives, you know? So now are there any websites, social media sites, anything that you recommend people follow as they're kind of going through this journey or looking into starting this journey?
3: I would say, I mean, you're talking to me and I, I talked about my storytelling so that this, the sites I'm going to tell you about are, are the two pr- passion projects that emerged after both of my parents passed away. Mm-hmm. And I think that certainly the My Story project, which is, is basically, um, Michelle, you even participated in it. Mm-hmm. it. It's basically coming together as a community and that is the secret sauce for that project, my story, Um, you come together as a community of about 10 people and you write your stories when you're not together. And then when you meet together, you, you share. And so we always have two or three people who are willing to read their stories. And when you joined, we started, obviously it was right before COVID hit. And so when you joined, we were meeting in um, the home of one of our leaders Mm -hmm. and it was wonderful. Don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, and 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 so you got this encouragement from other people. Uh, people were so inspired by each other's stories. The whole purpose of the My Story Project is really to capture those stories. If you are a grandparent or a parent, before it's too late, before you pass away, you know, to capture your life stories. Um, and if you, if your parents have passed away you know, for me personally, it was just an opportunity to take, like, I had interviewed a ton of people after my parents passed away. And I was able to, you know, use that material to write and reflect on what others had to say about them. And, and then that inspired me to write my own stories about what happened in my own experience. And I wrote about that. So for you, You wrote about your dad who's still living and you're an example of how important it is to talk to them while they're still alive. So for people who are listening to this, for caregivers, family members, oh my goodness. However you want to get those stories, you need to get those stories. And I think the My Story Project is very inspiring. We will start a new season in January of 2022.
0: So if people want to find out more information about my story, what's the website that they can go to? to get yeah,
3: website? it's, it's easy. It's to write my story.com. Okay. Awesome. To write my story.com. okay. Yeah. Awesome. So that's so, one.
0: Yeah. So that's um, that. that's amazing. And I'm so I'm always so happy to talk with you and share the story about your dad and, you know, from, Your experience and how you really didn't know about hospice, your family, your family opened up and received that and had that great journey. And so you guys came together as a team and I know your stepmom was the primary caregiver. And so that's the other thing about having community to be able to have some relief and know that someone else is there. And so not only did you use family, but you also used the community as well. And So I thought that was an awesome way to do that. So, um, so thank you so much, Amy. It's always good to talk with you. And it does. Um, I certainly hope people go visit your website to learn about my story. It was very impa- impactful for me and my family. And um, we, we appreciate you sharing your journey. And I hope people after this will be able to open up um, and kind of maybe think about hospice as an option for their family.
3: Right. Oh, absolutely. Can I, can I give you one more website? Okay, sure so I have a podcast all those recordings that I did when my dad was alive and all those recordings of people that I went to after he passed away to get the stories about him they are now part of a podcast okay Okay. and it's called the honky-tonk papa podcast so people can also go to that okay that's great absolutely Well, thank you, Amy. I so appreciate
0: speaking with you. And I know people got a lot of good information from this and just insight, um, comfort and support about making decisions that may not be traditional for some, but maybe an option to consider, right? So um, thank you again for joining us today. our, our, to our listeners, you can find out more information um, about our 2021 Atlanta Family Caregiver Expo that's coming up on November the 20th um, at callforcaring.org. The event this year is planned at this time for a hybrid, a virtual, and in person. We'll continue to monitor that as uh, the winter and fall, the fall and winter comes along to see if we'll be doing that or not. But the outdoor venue is at Impact Church. The Call for Caring on Purpose podcast is part of the Finding Your Forte channel on Up to Me Radio at www.uptomeradio.com. It can also be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We hope that today's Call for Caring on Purpose podcast has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you. Thank you.
3: 18- us.